This is your podcast for all things refinishing. I'm Lane Ball with Zebras Before and After. Welcome to Season 3, Episode 28. It's time to celebrate another refinisher for our monthly featured artist on our blog and podcast. Laura Cobb with Redhead Refinishings is our August featured artist. She shares a little about her background, her start in refinishing, and discusses a few of her pieces. We wrap up our conversation with a discussion on sanding. Andy with Furniture Fables by Andy shares a great tip on how to critique your work as you refinish your pieces, and we'll find out what Katie with Southern Art Heart Designs, Debbie with Four Sun and Sand, and Molly with Vintage Grace Design are working on in their studios this week. In our Did You Know segment, we learn about a few really old furniture pieces. Really old, I might add. Stay with us. We have the inspiration, fun, and community that will platform your day. The Furniture Refinishing community is a cohesive community, and we know you all love learning more about each other. That is one of the many benefits of our monthly features. You either get to learn about a refinisher you didn't already know about, or you get to learn a little more about one that you are already familiar with. Our August featured artist has her own signature style of making sure she has exposed wood on almost all of her refinished pieces. She's an award-winning refinisher from the state of Ohio. I am happy to announce Laura Cobb with Redhead Refinishings as this month's featured artist. Hi, Laura. It's a joy to have you as our August featured artist. Hi, Lane. Thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm super excited and really honored to be featured this month. Thank you. Well, now you live in what I call cold country, which for me is really anything north of my state, North Carolina. So you're in Sandusky, Ohio? Yeah, definitely gets cold here in the wintertime. You know, we get snow, freezing temperatures. So I try to embrace the summer and fall as much as I can, especially refinishing, you know, in the wintertime, it's not so fun to do pieces outside in the cold. Luckily, uh, we did install a heater um, and some better insulation the last couple years to help me out with that so I can do the pieces um, inside my garage slash my little workshop area. So uh, it's nice in that aspect, but but yeah, we do get cold up here in the wintertime. <laughs> now, would you, are you more of a winter person or a summer person? Mm. Summer, definitely. I like warm weather. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> now, tell me a little bit about your summer. Has it been uh, pretty good? The, the temperature's been nice this summer? Yeah, actually, compared to last summer, so last summer was pretty hot. Like, we had a lot of 80, 90 degree days, whereas this summer, not so much that hot. It's been more, more reasonable temperatures, like 70, low 80s. Last week, it did get up um, pretty hot, like high 80s and 90s. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, it's been pretty, pretty good as far as refinishing wise. We do get humidity here, so that can can mess with dry times and such with the paint. But for the most part, the summer's been really good, which is nice. Yeah, that's super nice. I mean, 70, 70s and 80s, uh, that's like ideal weather, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So, uh, and I even like it sometimes hotter, but you know, for painting furniture and being out in the sun, you know, 70s, 80s is really nice. So yeah, we've been lucky. What do you like about living in Sandusky? Well, Sandusky is on Lake Erie, which is one of the Great Lakes. And it's so nice because it's actually kind of a tourist town. So uh, we get, it's kind of busy in the summer, you know, we're out, we're on the lake, you know, there's a lot of um, incoming traffic, which is good for our economy. We have Cedar Point, which is one of the big, biggest amusement parks in 
uh, the States and probably the world. They're really known for their roller coasters. So I, you know, I take the kids there a lot. We have season passes. So we do that. And I just like to be outside. I'm an outdoors person. So being by the lake, being by the water is really nice. Do you guys ever make it to Detroit? Actually, I guess I should say, how far is Detroit from Sandusky? Oh, it's not too far. Detroit's probably, I would say, a little over two hours, maybe two and a half hours away. So not uh-huh. too far. Yeah. we. I actually, when I deliver furniture, I deliver to Detroit a lot if I can't get a shipper that's coming soon. So we take little mini trips there and I'll take the family on on our little trips when I do deliver furniture. Detroit's pretty close and that's another nice big city. Well, you're, you're dedicated to your customers if you're willing to drive to Detroit to drop <laughs> off a piece. <laughs> Sometimes you just have to do it. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah. And so, and then Cleveland is not too far. Yeah, I actually grew up in Cleveland, so we go back and forth there quite a bit. Um, I have family still there, and it's only a little over an hour, so we're we're going there. We go to the uh, Indians games there a lot, the, the Major League Baseball team, and um, we go to sport, other sporting events like the Cavaliers, the basketball team, and. Uh-huh. Um, so, so yeah, Cleveland's another great spot. You guys have a lot of opportunity where you live. It's nice. It's super nice. Yeah. Yeah. We're definitely lucky. I kind of feel like, especially for furniture wise too, I'm in a great spot cause I can ship to the East coast pretty easily. And then, um, kind of the Midwest and South too. So it's nice. You know, having access to, you know, um, Detroit, Cleveland, obviously being in Sandusky, um, I guess Toledo, Toledo, Ohio, that's mm-hmm. not too far either. Yeah, so that's you, not far at all. You've really got a lot of options with respect to finding furniture and selling furniture. Yeah, um, I'm lucky. I always say that you can find furniture anywhere, but, you know, in some, some areas I've, you know, so I have friends that are in the South and some areas are really hard to access things or, or affordable pieces, but, uh-huh. um, yeah, going back and forth to these major cities, I've probably stopped at every, you know, thrift shop, restore Goodwill. So, um, it's really, it is really nice to, to have access to those major cities and to the furniture inventory that they offer. Um, you know, I don't really need to be buying anymore, but I'm always looking. So (laughs) (laughs) if there's that amazing piece, I just can't pass it up. So yeah, it's, it's really great for that aspect too. Yeah, it's hard to pass up a piece and you've especially when you've got vision like you have and you see it, you probably immediately know, Oh my goodness, I know what I want to do with that. <laughs> yeah, certain things definitely and then other things kinda of just sit in the back and um I have to kinda of, hmm, ponder on it for a while because I like to do I like to both paint and I also like to refinish wood. So mm-hmm. I kinda of have to envision like is this gonna be like a fully painted piece or where can I incorporate that? the wood tones in it. So sometimes I have to really kind of, kind of, um, ponder on that. So it'll, it'll take a little while, uh, to think about sometimes, but, but most, you know, some of the pieces, it's just like, I know immediately. So (laughs) that's nice. (laughs) Yeah. That's, that's kind of a challenge though, because when you do know immediately, I mean, you really can't pass it up. I mean, because you've got that vision and you're like, this is going to be a beautiful piece. That's exactly it. And now my husband would disagree as we have two storage units and a garage full of furniture. But, but yes, no, you know, especially if it's something super unique or an antique that are just hard to find, you know, in general, like a, a, a big, beautiful, ornate buffet, you know, I, I, I can't pass it up. So 
it'll yeah. it'll come join the horde I have. You mentioned, you know, when you deliver some of these pieces, like for example, Detroit, you take your family along, and that's so cool that you can, you know, enjoy uh, having them with you. Tell us about your family. So, are your kids kind of young? Are they older? What's what's your family like? Yeah, so I have three kids. I have uh, my son Andrew. He is eight and a half. I have a uh, daughter, uh, Charlie. She's six, and then my youngest is three, um, and her name's Olivia. So yeah, they're they're pretty young for the most part, but they enjoy. So they've kind of grown up, especially my youngest. I was refinishing like while I was before I was pregnant with her and while I was pregnant. <laughs> so I think I sold a piece of furniture while I was in the hospital after I delivered her. So, so she's kind of like definitely been with me since the start. And then the other two, you know, have been around it for a while. So, so, you know, we go on little adventures and, uh, you know, picking up pieces or delivering and they love going to hotels. I mean, we don't ever really go that far for delivering, but, um, they like to go out to eat. So we'll go out to eat after we deliver. And yeah, it's just kind of like a family uh, business. My husband, he'll help me when he's not working. Um, he's a civil engineer, so he's more my, like, if I need a drawer glide or a, something rebuilt on the piece, he really helps me in that area. Does he enjoy it? Um, yes, at times. Other times, I think I annoy him. So I'm really trying, <laughs> I'm really trying to um, learn, learn a lot of those skills myself and being comfortable, like, using the saw um, and just kind of, I'm, I've been watching more tutorials and and just stuff about woodworking in general and like rebuilding things. Cause he's, he's rebuilt like sides of buffets for me. And, and he, this isn't stuff that he's done before. So he's kind of had to learn how to do it too. But, mm -hmm. um, growing up with his dad, his dad, um, is a Mason and a laborer. So he did a lot of construction work when he was younger. So he's, we've got all the tools and he knows how to use them. And so I've just kind of had him more into like the furniture, Mm -hmm. uh, rebuilding part. And he, he does actually, he does like it for the most part, but there's some times where, you know, he works eight to 10 hours a day. So when, when I'm bugging him to like help me out with something that I want to get done, you know, I could be annoying at times. So <laughs> it's like, I just want to rest, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just hard because for me, like, you know, I work from home, so furniture, you know, and I know other refinishers probably can relate you're always around it. So you can be doing it like 24 seven. And it just, sometimes you have to step back and say, okay, you know, I've been, you know, working on this piece all day, or I've been working like for five or six days in a row, you know, maybe I need to like step back and like take a breather mm -hmm. and, um, you know, not overwork myself or, you know, I need to engage back with my family and kind of, it's kind of, sometimes it's hard to delineate work from life. So, I've tried to be a lot better with that the last couple of years and just not have set times when I, you know, I, I'm not clocking in or clocking out, but yeah. just being cognizant that, okay, I need to step back. It's always going to be there. You know, mm -hmm. I'm going to engage with my kids or, you know, do other things around the house that need to get done. So yeah, so you can get really tied up with the business part of it since it's, you know, at home in your face all the time. What do you think makes that so difficult? Do you think for you, it's just because you really, when you're doing it, you're just really enjoying it. You can't kind of wait to get back out at it. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. It's so it started as just like a passion. You know, we moved into a bigger house, needed furniture. So I just started doing it that way. I fell in love with it. And yeah, it just, it, 
it was very addicting and I still get that enjoyment out of it, even though it is my work, you know, there are certain things that, you know, are definitely like, you know, you feel like you're working, like shipping can be a drag and certain things like that. But like the actual refinishing and the painting and like the seeing the culmination of your piece, I always get this, these butterflies, like I, you know, when I first started five years ago. So I think that's kind of why, yes, that's why you kind of could just work all the time. Could you just enjoy it so much? Well, we'll see if my memory serves me well. I hesitate saying this, but I, for some reason I'm thinking, your you your past career was it a nurse yes yeah definitely oh, you're good, right good, good. yeah good memory <laughs> yeah so yeah so i i um i worked as a nurse uh in at the cleveland clinic which um, is a big hospital yeah. so i used to drive there back and forth an hour each way and um i loved it i worked in the medical icu which is very an, an intense place um, but it was good for me because i'm a type a personality so i was very um, organized and, you know, dedicated to these very sick patients that I had. So I, I, I really enjoyed it. Um, and then I actually went back to get my master's uh, to be a family nurse practitioner, so an advanced practice degree. And that's mm -hmm. kind of right when I started picking up the furniture refinishing and did that on the side while I was going to school and part-time working. And then when I graduated, I was pregnant with my youngest and I had opened up my Etsy shop and my business started really taking off. So I thought, well, let's just do this for now. You know, I really enjoy my two kids. I'm pregnant. Maybe I'll put off the being a nurse practitioner for a little while just to see where this, you know, furniture business goes, you know, might just fizzle out. And that was four years ago and I never went back to nursing. Um, luckily my business is, uh, took off and it's still, you know, good. So, so yeah, so no, not, I'm not practicing as a nurse currently, but I do keep my license and kind of the whole thing with COVID the last couple of years that we've been experiencing. Um, I'm blessed not to be, you know, in that field right now because I know how hard it is and um, the mental toll that it's taken on a lot of the healthcare workers. So just being able to be at home with my kids and work kind of has been a blessing. So well, that's nice, especially, you know, that's a, I mean, that's a decent drive, an hour to work every day, yeah. and then, of course, an hour back. Yeah, well, I had um, gone back to nursing school, and my nursing school was in Cleveland, so I was kind of already used to the drive, and I went back to school before I had kids, so I thought, and my nursing school was tied to the clinics, so I thought, well, I'll get some good experience, I'll work there a year, mm -hmm. um, and I worked there a year, and I tried to work at the local hospital here in Sandusky, and the level of the Cleveland Clinic versus the hospital um, and locally here in Sandusky just kind of wasn't the same for me. And like I said, I'm very type A and I just really liked that organized and that level of mm -hmm. level of care and level of commitment from the physicians. I mean, it's one of the most, it's like world renowned, you know, not mm -hmm. just in the U S but in the whole world. So um, I really liked, I mean, I just really enjoyed working there and I really enjoyed my coworkers. So I stayed there pretty much up until I, retired as a nurse so we have friends here in north carolina who uh have have gone up to the cleveland clinic and uh yeah so like you said it's world renowned so um yeah. that's cool that you work there that's, that's yeah phenomenal. yeah i was blessed and and then just being able to go there is as you know with my kids and have them you know be a patient there is really nice too in case you know god forbid something happens mm -hmm. it's you know not too far 
You know, you mentioned earlier when you were talking about um, when you started the business and you uh, created an Etsy shop. I'm curious, knowing where you live and, and the access that you have to customers, potential customers in, in you know, some of the larger cities, do you find that Etsy is a big part of your business? Um, I do. I think that uh, a big part of it also is, though, um, having my Instagram account and my Facebook business page. I think being able to use that for uh, a driver to Etsy. I think Etsy organically is good. Like I will get customers just from Etsy, but like I also drive people to my Etsy page Mm. from Instagram or from my Facebook account. So I think it's just not, you know, you just don't open your Etsy shop and you're going to have all these customers. I think you really, it's, it's a lot of work. It really is a lot of work with promoting your business page, promoting your Instagram account. I also pay for advertising through Etsy, through Facebook, through Instagram. So it's just not like a, a one-sided deal. So yeah, uh, you know, I just, Etsy's been great. I mean, just cause that's like a big platform, you know, when I get f- feedback from customers on that, people see that, you know, your rating, all that kind of mm-hmm. stuff plays into account. You know, because these pieces aren't aren't uh, they're they're not inexpensive. So, you know, sometimes first time Etsy customers are purchasing a very large you know price piece, and they want to make sure you know you're legitimate. And mm-hmm. um, so, seeing you know your Facebook and Instagram and your um, feedback on Etsy all helps with that. So, yeah, um, it is a lot of work, as a lot of other furniture finishers know. You know, you put in what you get out, I think. And so so the more you put in, the harder you work. I think the the bigger benefits you'll see from it. Yeah, they all really work hand in hand together, don't they? Yeah, they really do. They really do. Because when I first started, I didn't realize the the impact of social media. And I was like, mm-hmm. I was like okay, I'm good with Facebook. I knew that. And, and then there was, you know, Instagram and I was like, Oh God, I don't really know what this is. I got to learn about the hashtags and, you know, <laughs> it's just, you know, it, it is work. So you have to, you know, you know, post your pictures and then stories and, um, reels. And, um, now there's TikTok, and I was like, I'm not going to get a TikTok. Well, you know, I eventually did get a TikTok, but still working on that. So, so yeah, it is, it's, it's work, but you know, it's, it's, it's kind of fun work. I just, uh, you know, sometimes I, I need to be better at, um, accessing that and doing that. So sometimes when I see things that aren't getting liked or, you know, I'm not getting, you know, I'm not seeing the sales I want to see, I, I really put more effort into those mm-hmm. social media avenues and I do see a, a, an uptick from that. What is your favorite part of refinishing, Laura? Um, well, I love to incorporate woodwork into my refinishing. I just, I just love the look of wood grain, and for most of my pieces, I, so I think sanding probably. Uh, that was like kind of when I first started. Uh, I had access to sanders, so like that was what I did. I sanded the pieces down and um, really, really worked hard at. Uh, getting that right, you know, it's sometimes it's hard with sanding, you know, mm-hmm. certain grits you can, you know, sand too far, or sand through veneer, um, you'll get swirls or pigtails in it. So really learning the art of sanding and uh, 
learning about different woods and the wood types and is it solid wood, solid wood versus veneer. Mm-hmm. I think that is probably one of my favorite parts. I mean, I love painting too, but working with, with woodworking probably, probably um, is my favorite. And you can see, like, if you look at my Instagram or my Facebook uh, page and my certain pieces, I'll always have, for the most part, have some kind of wood grain showing. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. What part of refinishing do you struggle with the most? Oh, I would say probably, you know, I'll get done and vary to the end and then you have to top coat. Um, and top coating wood, I'm pretty good at, but top coating paint like with polyurethane, that can be tricky for me. So I kind of always dread it and <laughs> um, <laughs> pray that it comes out nice. And, uh, you know, there's things over the years that I've learned to get like a good finish, but, um, you know, you want your piece to last. So top coating, top coating is super important. So, you know, I'm always learning and like still with top coating, that's sometimes a struggle. And, I'll, you know, if I mess it up, I'll just sand it back off and kind of start over. And so look kind of the thorn in my side sometimes. Yeah. I guess most things are forgiving uh, to a degree. There's just mm-hmm. work involved and nobody wants to have extra work. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's exactly it. You know, there's, I, I always try to get these, um, some, some people ask me like, what, what's the easiest way to refinish? Or, you know, I have this paint that's just all in one paint. And really there isn't, if you want a lasting finish, if you're doing this for a business, you need to put in the work, you need mm-hmm. to, you need to clean it, you need to prep it, you need to sand it. You need to prime it, um, for I, I believe. Um, so yeah, there isn't really an easy way to, you know, refinish furniture well um, if you're doing it right. So yeah, there is work involved. It is work, but um, when you have a piece come out in the end and it's a lasting quality piece, you know, it's very satisfying. Yeah, it's so rewarding, and especially knowing that you're selling these pieces, somebody's going to have this piece in their home. You want to be comfortable knowing that you did everything right. Um, and you didn't skimp on anything. Yeah, exactly. Especially like selling on Etsy with a clientele on there. Yeah. You really want to make sure that you're doing everything that you can. And when I first started, I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't think about refinishing the back of a piece or underneath of a piece, but as the years have gone on, I've learned, okay, I'm going to do, we're doing the back or I'm going to replace the back and put a new piece of stained wood on it. Um, the underneath the drawers, the inside of drawers, you know, there's, I sand those smooth and retop coat or line them. Yeah. I just make sure that every piece, every part of the piece is as finished as I can make it mm-hmm. before it leaves. Well, one of the most favorite parts of these interviews is hearing your finishers talk about their works of art. Let's talk about a few of your pieces, Laura. Listeners, make sure you check out these pieces by going to enjoyzebra.com. Click on the blog in the upper right-hand corner of our site, and then click on our Featured Artist tab where you'll see Laura featured. Let's start first, Laura, with this piece that uh, you designed back in March of this year. You mentioned on Instagram that it's one of your favorite finishes, and it's an antique buffet Absolutely stunning. It really is quite beautiful. Thank you, Lane. Yeah, um, this was a piece that, like you said, I did in March. And it was one of those pieces where I saw and I'm like, okay, I know exactly what I want to do with. Um, It's an antique buffet or dresser. It could be used as both. But um, I sanded and top coated the wood on the top of it. um, And it had beautiful mahogany wood grain. And then um, on the body, I painted it uh, with this mustard seed milk paint, which is a uh, paint that 
chips and kind of gives it a rustic finish. It really had some nice chipping to it, but I believe I distressed more of the middle just so that you could see more of the wood grain underneath of it. Uh, and then it has these beautiful front feet that were also a gorgeous wood that I top coated and left them natural. And uh, I just think that the piece came out how exactly how I envisioned it. I love how the the black uh, looks with the wood grain, mm -hmm. and uh, it just it was one of those special pieces and um, sold very fast, which was really nice. <laughs> <laughs> it went to yep. Reno, Nevada, so I thought that was kind of cool. Oh, wow. a place I've never uh, shipped to before. Yeah, that took a long road trip. <laughs> yes, that yeah, it did. It did take a little bit of a road trip. Now, the, the middle section, which is uh, one of the central uh, eye attention parts of this piece, is that mm -hmm. it's very smooth looking. Now, you talk about, you know, milk pane and how it chips. I, of course, I'm not looking at it up close. It doesn't look chippy. It just looks like it's, you see the sort of design, the artful design on the center. Did you smooth that out is that smooth or am i just not seeing yeah that? no it, i did so with yeah with milk paint you can have like a chippy almost textured finish and i believe with this piece i used the surf prep sanding pads that were that are very fine so i was able to smooth the paint down and then also in the middle more sand it so just so you could just start seeing the wood grain in that in that middle part so that's how I achieved the effect with that. Um, I just sanded a little bit more towards the middle, um, mm -hmm. and it did give that that smooth effect to it. And then I was able to top coat it and uh, protect both the paint and then also let that wood grain show through and shine. What about the hardware? Is that original or was that new? Yeah, that the hardware on that piece um, is original. And with my antique pieces, I mostly like to use the original hardware. I'm very traditional like that I like I like to use the hardware if I can some of the buffets I do I do um, kind of change it up but for this piece this is the original hardware which was beautiful I just cleaned it and uh, put it back on well I'm sure your client was really happy with it did you get to hear back from him she yeah she actually messaged me and sent me a picture of it in her home and I think I don't think I put it on my Instagram but I have it on my Facebook page uh, and she has it like as a entryway piece and it mm -hmm. just looks beautiful so that was really nice, yeah. I'm sure. Well, this next piece is an antique vanity, and it's really beautiful as well. It's a really nice shade of blue. Describe it for our listeners and tell us how you achieved the look. Yeah, so this um, was an antique trifold vanity. Uh, this blue was a, a color that I hadn't used before. It was, I believe, um, lake blue from Rust-Oleum Chalk chalked brand paint i would say like a, a light medium blue mm -hmm. um, but then i also added some shading uh with a darker i think i don't know i don't think i used wax on this no i used more of a um a, just a brown paint to create a shading effect on the edges and on some of the details on the drawers and then i think i also used a little like a lighter white shade to blend um to kind of get create some more highlights on that but um, also you can see um, towards the bottom of the feet, I left the, those wood and then I sanded and refinished the top and let the wood grain show on the top as well. Now on the feet that you left exposed, uh, is that the way it came or did you have to sand it and then stain it? How, what was that like? 
So the detail part right under the drawer, I sanded and I top coated with some oil-based polyurethane. Mm. And then the feet, I believe that is just still the natural effect that kind of has a worn look that I really liked. I didn't want to have it too clean looking, so I just kind of top coated the worn look that I had already had. Did you develop the look as you progressed through the refinishing process, or did you plan ahead and worked your way to the desired look? I kind of just like let it organically go. So yeah, I <laughs> yes. had in my mind, you know, this wasn't a color I had used before. So it was, I was kind of, I think I, I was originally going to do black. And then I looked at my paint shelf and I thought this would be a really cool color. So um, yeah, it just kind of developed as I went and, you know, I blended and kind of added a little bit more here and a little more shading there until I was satisfied with the look. Do you use uh, any wet distressing or do you, when you're blending, do you use much water? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'll definitely use like a, a spray a can mm-hmm. and it has a little bit of water in it. And um, I'll use that to blend with the, the, like with the highlighting and the low lighting. I, I'll blend with, with water. Um, wet distressing, I don't do too much of. Um, I'll sometimes do that with my chippy pieces, like with the um, previous one we were talking about. A lot of the times, instead of using distressing, I'll use shading like mm-hmm. with different with darker paints to get that look instead of um, actually distressing it. So you don't use a lot of wax then? I do. I do just clear wax usually. Mm-hmm. So like with this piece, I used paint to shade and then I clear waxed over it. But you know, you could get a very similar effect effect with the dark wax instead of using like a darker paint which I know a lot of uh, refinishers use. Yeah. Do you just prefer using paint to get the the shading effect as opposed to the wax? Yeah, I kind of like it. Yeah, I kind of like doing that with wax. I mean, it can be tricky. I mean, it can be tricky both ways. But, um, but yeah, I just, I like to do it with the paint. If I'm going to paint, I I like to use that as my shading. I take it this piece is in somebody's home? It is. And actually, I was going to mention that um, it it was a a previous client or... um, bought it but then she wanted it to match she bought some turquoise knife nightstands so i actually had to repaint this piece um in a darker turquoise blended look so the blue got a little uh got a little more turquoisey but um it still had a very cool blended look and it matched her other pieces that uh were in her bedroom so it did sell but she had to get a little makeover before she left yeah <laughs> which well, happens sometimes <laughs> right at least you captured it uh with your photograph there <laughs> yeah yes yeah because i really did love this color blue yeah it's really unique it's very mellow yeah well this next piece is your favorite piece of all time i believe you mentioned that this piece took yes. a ton of work and yes. it's a little bit tiring reading about it but it certainly <laughs> certainly paid off because it is a beautiful piece tell us what you went through to arrive at this uh very lovely mcm piece well thank you yeah so um my dad is retired and he likes to help me out so he'll go thrift shopping for me so he sent sent me a picture of this piece and he's like, oh, this is probably something you won't want, but I just wanted to send it anyways. And it was like this little sad dresser, uh, this MCM long 72-inch piece that was just sitting on the floor. The legs had uh, gone missing or been cut off. I'm not sure. And I thought, I know exactly what I want to do with it. So I told him, get it. Um, and so I picked it up, and it actually kind of sat for a little bit because I believe I bought it in the winter time. yes. 
So it was cold um, and I knew it was going to be a lot of work. So I started chipping away at it and it's uh, and wood in a uh, painted look. So it's kind of got two tone to it. So I started sanding the drawers and I knew that the outer drawers were going to be uh, wood. So I sanded those and top coated them. I kind of put those away. And then the middle drawers um, had like almost like a uh, plasticky resin type uh, design on them. Mm-hmm. So I knew I couldn't sand those. So I was like, well, these ones are going to be painted. So I grabbed my paint and I have a, a paint sprayer I use, especially for smooth finishes like MCM pieces. So I grabbed what I thought was primer and I sprayed the drawers. Luckily it was just the drawers and it wasn't the actual body of the piece. I let it dry and then I realized I had grabbed instead of my um, sticks primer, which is a great bonding primer. I grabbed, I think it was just like Benjamin Moore paint. And I thought, oh gosh. So of course it wasn't sticking. So I had to then strip all the drawers and it was a gummy mess. And so I kind of stripped them little by little and, probably took me like two weeks to just get those back to the basics, back to the wood. And, um, then I made sure I grabbed the right primer and reprimed, um, let it dry. Um, but there had been some water damage towards the bottom of the dresser, probably because it had been sitting on the ground and, and it didn't have its legs anymore. So I had to do some veneer repair work on that and had to bondo some pieces and, kind of recreate the bottom, the whole kind of bottom piece of it. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I had my husband help engineer um, some new, new legs uh, that would be appropriate for it. Prime painted and uh, bought some new hardware too for the middle drawers. And it was, it was probably a little over a month project on it working kind of, you know, with other projects Mm -hmm. as well, but super happy with how it came out. And it was one of those, gosh, I really wish I could have kept, but (laughs) <laughs> I just didn't have anywhere to put it. So That's she, a problem, yeah, isn't it? it is. A, it is a problem. <laughs> yes, it's a it's a big problem. But fortunately, she found a new home in Boston, and yeah, I was really I was really pleased with how that one came out, and uh, just you know all the work that did go into it, and you know there were times where you know my husband, God love him, he's just like, well, let's just maybe take that one back to Goodwill, or maybe we should just you know not do this one anymore, Laura. And it's like, no, I can see the light is at the <laughs> end right. of the tunnel. Too far, man. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I've already put so many hours into it. We're not, we're not getting rid of this one. So yeah, I was super excited with how it came out. And, uh, yeah, I really love that piece. You know, when you work on a piece that hard and you put so much, you know, effort into it and time, would you say that when it was all said and done and you sold it, was it still profitable for you? I think probably that one definitely was maybe not as profitable as some of my other pieces, but sometimes you just have to like balance it out. Like some pieces are, you know, you can just turn around in a day, like smaller pieces. And then you have these passion project pieces like this one that is going to take a lot more work. And sometimes you're not going to get as much as you want out of it as normal. But at the end of the day, if it sells, that's, that's what matters. So especially my MCM pieces, the, the ones that I refinish, they do take a lot of effort and time. And, um, luckily that is a good, that MCM is a, a hot seller right now. So I know that. So I know usually I will, I will get, get out of what I put into it. 
I like what you said. You called it a passion project. Yes. <laughs> Maybe that's a good little uh, saying. Passion projects may not always be profitable. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but, true, true. Yes. But luckily, you know, I don't just work on one piece at a time. Right. I have multiple pieces going. So, which isn't always good either. I think sometimes it would just be, you know, I, my husband wants me to do one piece, get it done, move on to the next. And as a, an artist and refinisher, that always doesn't happen. So. Well, it's yeah. always good to step away from stuff too, you know, because sometimes when you're buried in it, you kind of lose the passion because yeah. you get kind of caught up in the the work and the fatigue that can come from working hard on a piece. So uh, I would imagine yeah. it's it's beneficial to have multiple pieces going at once. Yeah. And, and like this, you know, you're really excited about it and you really don't know, can't always predict what's going to happen. Yeah. Like sometimes you'll buy a piece and it, it looks very clean and nice and there's no veneer damage and it's like, okay, yeah, this one's going to be an easy one. And then you get into it and you know, the drawer's falling apart or something else has fallen off. And it's like, you know, you have these things that pop up, like you said, and you just kind of have to reevaluate, sometimes step back or I'll have to wait for my husband to help me with this. And so, yeah, so then I'll start something else and yeah, kind of get a fresh, uh, fresh perspective and renewed energy for the other piece. Well, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to discuss sanding with Laura. This podcast is sponsored by Zebra, makers of the application-specific paintbrushes that lay down the smoothest finish of paint, giving you the results that you and your customers demand. Most of you are working day in and day out in your studios, and it's important that you have the right tools you need as well as the right attire. We are excited to announce that our new stylish aprons are available on our website, enjoyzebra.com. These aprons are the best of both worlds in that they give you adequate protection for your clothing, but don't weigh you down. They are made of 100% cotton canvas. Each has one chest pocket and two hip pockets. It has a cross-back tie with faux leather tabs with a washed denim feel. They come in two options, a blue jean color that has refinish, relax, and repeat printed on the front, and a gray option that has excuse the mess, I paint here, also printed on the front. Consider checking them out and treat yourself to a cool apron that will make you feel great while you work and impress your clients. Welcome back to our interview with Laura Cobb of Redhead Refinishings. Laura, when we were discussing a topic, you mentioned sanding. Yes. <laughs> Tell us why you chose that topic. Well, um, like I had talked previously, when I first started in my refinishing endeavors, um, a sander was like the basic piece of tool that I had that I, I knew that I could use. So I pretty much sanded whatever and anything I could get my hands on that was real wood. I think I even probably tried to sand stuff that wasn't real wood, and then I quickly figured out that <laughs> that doesn't work. So, so no, um, sanding has helped me just understand different types of wood, solid, veneer. Um, obviously, if you sand too deep on a veneer, you'll sand through the finish. Sanding is really an art to me. It takes practice. It takes time. It's a skill that uh, over the last five years, I think I've really become acquired and um, and really love I love I love woodworking with furniture and and I think that it's just that's like a big driver when I refinish furniture is wood and wood grain and how I can incorporate that into my pieces 
how much of the enjoyment of sanding is dependent upon the right tools? That may sound like a crazy question, but I know there are folks out there maybe that, yeah, you know, they want to eventually get a surf prep, but mm-hmm. they just, they don't have that right now. And they don't have the, you know, the ability to purchase that. What would you say to that, to people who really want to get there, but you know, they're like, you know, I'm not necessarily enjoying it. What advice do right. you have for those folks? Uh, no, I really, like you said, I think your equipment your is key. I, I started out with just, you know, basic sanders from Home Depot and Lowe's and, and like a DeWalt sander I had, you know, it worked, it worked well. Um, but I was running into issues where, uh, they were breaking very, you know, often, like every, mm-hmm. probably every six, seven months. And I mean, I was using the heck out of them. But um, I then kind of upgraded and bought a Bosch vacuum system, and it was mm-hmm. expensive. And I, I had to, you know, outweigh, you know, weigh the benefits and the, the pros and the cons. What it really cut down on the the dust, and you know, I'm a, I'm big on like you know precautions and wearing my mask. So anything that can help health wise, you know, it really cut down on, you know, or eliminated the dust, you know, using the vacuum. Mm -hmm. And then I kind of upgraded my sander to, I use Festool sanders and, uh, you know, it was kind of night and day, you know, those are a lot more expensive, but again, I think the quality that it puts out and the time it saves using these certain tools, Mm -hmm. I mean, really has helped me in my business. I think that, you know, if you can save time on a piece, also, you know, avoiding, you know, some health issues with the sanding, I think it's invaluable. So I don't have a surf prep, but I do use the surf prep pads with my mm-hmm. um, smaller square Festool detail sander. And uh, I love the ability to sand my, the sand in between paint and um, get some really smooth finishes especially on the like buffets that have ornate legs on them that I want to sand down. Uh, the surf prep paint uh, pads have been amazing and like time saving. And, you know, if I can avoid using a stripper, you know, that's always great too, because strippers are expensive. So, so I think, um, and I started out slow, like I didn't, you know, it, it took me several years to acquire the nicer sanders. And, um, I just had to look at my business and, really see, you know, if I could afford these and, you know, in the beginning I couldn't. So as the years have gone on, I, instead of maybe buying certain paints or more, more paint, because I have a lot of paint, I kind of use what I have and, Mm -hmm. you know, upgraded to the sander or, you know, made the decision that, you know, uh, I'm going to put money aside and save up. Or if I sell a certain number of pieces, you know, I'll go in and buy this, you know, buy the sander, the spray gun. And, um, I think the tools that I have acquired, like my spray gun, my Fuji spray gun and my sanders and my vacuum are invaluable. I mean, I use those almost every day. So if it can help you save time and, and, um, cut down on the dust, especially if you're working in an enclosed space, I think it's, it's great. Any hard and fast rules for sanding that you can share with our listeners? Mm, hard and fast rules. Well, don't rush it. One, don't, and number two, if you're using um, an orbital, I know I sometimes get into it, but don't press down on it. You know, kind of mm. go even with the surface. I don't, sometimes when my husband helps me out, um, and I try really very rarely to let him sand because I mean, I, I'm very, I'm very, um, like I said, type A with that. Like I really don't want <laughs> marks and stuff. Like he'll, 
he'll get like, he'll get in a rut or he'll want to like push down on the sand and I have to come over and remind him, no, we don't do that. But, um, <laughs> it just, it's so funny, isn't it? It's like logical because when you're sanding and you're trying to get off and down yeah. to the treasure, yeah, it's like, you just, it's like, it's like a, it's an instinct that you have to fight from pushing down. It really is. Yeah. So, and even, like I said, even sometimes I have to remind myself just to like step back and slow down. Mm -hmm. uh, but with usually you'll start like, it just depends on the piece, but if it's a solid wood piece, you can use 80, 120, and then I go 150. Usually I don't go tip. I won't go over 220 like when I'm sanding because it can close off the grain and it won't accept some stains as easily. So, so I usually kind of stick around 120, 150 um, for my sanding schedule, but it's just practice. It's really, it is a lot of practice. A lot of people have asked me, you know, what are your tips or tricks? And, you know, I just say, you know, if you have an important piece that you want to get done, practice on something that is not as important because, mm -hmm. you know, you don't want to mess up that big piece. And um, especially with veneers and MCM pieces, Usually I will try to strip those and get as much finish off as I can because it's really easy to go through that wood grain. Once you're through it, it's, it's really hard to, you know, kind of make it match. I've gotten better at painting grain and making it look like wood grain, but if I can avoid doing that, I try to. Have you found yourself changing direction on a piece once you uncover the wood grain? Yeah, like if a certain piece looks like it'll have good wood grain and then it doesn't um i had a cedar chest i did not too long ago and i was like yeah it's gonna have a wood top and i'm gonna paint this and this and i got through to the wood grain and it was very um muddy looking and i had sanded it evenly and you know i tried to do some tricks and i tried to whitewash it and it just it just didn't look good so i ended up just um, painting most of the piece instead of, you know, showing more of the wood grain like I wanted mm. to. It really is uncovering treasure, isn't it? I mean, when yeah. you're doing wood, I mean, you don't know what you're going to get uh, in many cases, but uh, I bet I bet oftentimes, especially knowing how much you love to, ex to keep the wood grain exposed, I bet you're like, oh my goodness, this is beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There are certain pieces like I bought... Um, I found this one piece. It was probably a month or a little over a month ago. And um, it, the, the wood grain on the drawers did look amazing. And then once I had it all stripped off and I um, top coated it, it was just like, just it, it, it was just even more beautiful than I thought. So, yeah. you know, those pieces are really nice. And then, like I said, you'll have those other pieces that you think are going to be nice and they're not. And you just kind of have to change direction and figure out, you know, what to do with it now. Yeah, so satisfying, isn't it? It is. Yeah, it really is. I mean, I could, I, I love furniture. So for me, I could do it, like I said, all, every day, all day. But, you know, you have to step back. And sometimes it's nice to do that, too, just to get a fresh perspective, yeah. and fresh energy. Like I was gone most of the week last week. And I came back this weekend and uh, I had I had gone um, down to Southern Ohio and actually on the way back home, I stopped at an antique shop, of course, and found this little <laughs> mini buffet. <laughs> so right when I got home, you know, I, I kind of decompressed and, you know, got things put away and, and, but then the next morning woke up and worked on it and uh, was really excited to work on this little piece that I had found. So that was cool. 
Well, we're eager to see it. You'll have to post it soon. <laughs> yes, I will. <laughs> Laura, we've had you on a few times before, and we have always, always gleaned much from our conversations with you. You are a phenomenal refinisher, oh. and that is why, of course, we chose you as our August featured artist. It's a privilege to highlight you. Uh, well, I appreciate it, Lane. You guys have been so supportive over me throughout the years, and I'm just really honored to be the featured artist this month, and, and thank you again. Thank you for coming on. Awesome. Thanks for having me. Have a great day. Thanks, Lane. Today's refinishing tip comes from Andy with Furniture Fables by Andy. Hey, everyone. It's Andy from Furniture Fables. My tip for you today is to take photographs of your work throughout your refinishing process. We tend to really focus on and think about those gorgeous staged photos we know are coming at the end, but it's kind of amazing how powerfully pictures can inform us along the way. Many times a mid-process picture has revealed to me some issue or other that I just wasn't seeing from my three-dimensional real worldview. So keep your phone by your side, take your pics, then take a break, pour yourself a beverage, and take a look at what the camera is seeing, and let those pictures help and inform you throughout your refinishing process. Oh, and bonus tip, if you happen to share your home with artistically enthusiastic teenagers, make sure to hide your favorite zebra brushes, otherwise they tend to mysteriously walk away all on their own and are neither seen nor heard from again. Really creative tip, Andy, and thanks so much for your bonus tip. We love it. It's time to hear what your refinishing friends are up to. Here are a few reporting on what they're working on in their studios this week. Hi, my name is Katie. On Instagram, you can find me at Southern at Heart Designs. This week in my studio, I'm working on a desk for a little girl. I'm doing a really fun scallop design. Um, I'm also working on a china hutch for a client of mine who just lost her mother. It's her mother's hutch, so we're doing it in honor of her. And then I'm also working on restoring a 100-year-old washstand, so I'm really excited about that. Hi, everyone. This is Debbie with For Sun and Sand. This week in my shop, I am finishing up an antique china cabinet. This piece has been sitting for a couple years in my garage just because it needed so much work. I was inspired by Zebra's Ugly Duckling contest they had a few months ago, and I submitted this piece... And I wasn't chosen, but that was just a big motivation for me to move forward with this piece. I contacted a few furniture friends so we could encourage each other as we worked on our ugly duckling pieces at the same time. They finished long before I did, <laughs> but um, now I am just thrilled to be finished with it. It's a black and white China cabinet with a pretty liner on the inside back and um, modern cup poles. So it's ready to be staged and photographed. You can see a sneak peek on my Instagram and Facebook pages and there'll be more photos to come uh, very soon. So thanks for listening. Have a great week, everyone. Thanks so much, Zebra. Hi, this is Molly with Vintage Grace Design. I am working on a few things in the shop this week. I'm catching up from being on vacation last week, so I have a few different projects in process at the moment. I am finishing up a buffet that I'm doing in a bright pop of green. Just need to get one last coat of polyurethane on that piece before it's done. 
And then I'm also working on a custom MCM set. It's a long dresser with matching nightstands. And my client chose Midnight Blue with some gold hardware. So those are coming soon. I am still working on prepping them and getting them ready for primer, but hope to get them painted by this weekend. And then I also started a, another set of nightstands because I do like to have a few projects going that are in different stages. Um, those ones I am working on prepping and getting them ready for primer as well. So that's what I've got going on in the shop this week. Thanks. Thank you, friends. Listeners, make sure you go check out their social media feeds. Did you know that there are antique pieces of furniture that have stood the test of time, meaning several hundred years old to over 2,000 years old? You may say, how interesting. Tell us more. Well, we can tell you more. According to Furnishack.com, there is a bed in the UK that is over 400 years old. It has been used by 15 generations of the Berkeley family and has been in the Berkeley Castle estate since 1608. Furnishack.com states that the 400-year-old bed has amazing crafting, proving British furniture to have high durability together with high craftsmanship. We know our British friends enjoy hearing that. What about chairs? Apparently there are a few, but we'll mention here, according to Furnishack, the oldest surviving chair is the St. Augustine chair from medieval Europe. It is dated to have existence since the 13th century. One of the reasons leading to the long-lasting period of the chair is due to having an association with royalty. The chair is not currently in use. We think that's a wise decision. I guess it goes without saying, but most of the medieval European chairs found to be the oldest often have ornate works with high craftsmanship. So interesting, isn't it? Knowing that hands crafted pieces hundreds of years ago that are still around today. Wow, if you didn't know, well now you do. Doesn't it feel like it is just plain hot everywhere? Well, the Zebra Review judges decided that the August theme should be something that would help cool us off, at least help us feel a little cooler. So we came up with the theme, Cool Colors. This is your opportunity to refinish a piece in cool neutrals or cool blues and or cool greens. You can enter your pieces that were refinished from August 1st, 2021 through August 31st of 2021. Just make sure you use the hashtag The Zebra Review when you post your pieces. We have great sponsors from Surf Prep Sanding, D. Lawless Hardware to Melange Paints. So turn on the AC, grab a cup of iced tea and get to painting using those cool colors. Calling all new refinishers, we have the perfect opportunity for you. Our new podcast segment, The Furniture Council, is a great opportunity to get professional feedback and guidance from four well-known and successful refinishers. You'll submit a few of your pieces to the council and our judges will review and critique your work, lovingly, I might add, encouraging you on all the things you're doing right and making a few suggestions on how you could excel still more. Plus, it will be an opportunity to get your name out in front of the refinishing community by your podcast appearance. It's simple and fun. Send me an email at lane at enjoyzebra.com and we'll start the process. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Zebra Blogs Before and After Furniture Refinishing Podcast. Today's episode is also featured on the zebrablog.com along with contact information for today's guest. Your comments and suggestions for future episodes are always welcome, and we encourage you to share those by clicking on the podcast slide in our header at thezebrablog.com. That's zebra, 
with an I, blog.com. Thanks for listening. Stay safe and happy refinishing.